The house of God is set free by means of the victory of the champion, just like the house of David was set free by means of the victory of David. Now verse 17, and Jesse said to, his, to David his son, read that again, Jesse said to David his son, you see that? David his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. So David has already been anointed king. That took place in chapter 16. He has already been anointed as king, but what he has not been is coronated as king. So he's anointed but not coronated. The coronation won't happen until much later. So there's this period of David's life in which he's the anointed king, but he's not the coronated king. And this period of life is going to have, of course, we know those years of running from Saul and those sorts of things. But in addition to that, this period of his life in which he is anointed king, but not coronated king, is going to include instances such as this in which he is he's told to, he's commanded to, Go serve your brothers. Go take some food to your brothers. Now, David could have said, wait a minute, do you know who you're talking to? Don't you remember the previous chapter? Don't you remember Samuel? He could have said that. But no, in humility, the anointed king of Israel humbly serves his brothers. Do you see the connection? Christ also is the anointed king who is not yet the coronated king. His coronation will take place when he returns. That's his coronation. But for now, he is the anointed king who is yet to be the coronated king. And in this period of his anointing, prior to his coronation, he too will humble himself and serve his brothers in the same fashion. Mark 10 and verse 45, even the Son of Man came not to, to serve, but to, to be served, but to serve. Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and taking the form of a servant, taking the form of a servant, or that picture in John's gospel of taking off his outer garment and putting on the waist garment and kneeling to wash the feet of his disciples. So verse 18, and take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand if, and see if your brothers are well. So David is sent here to check on his brothers to see if they're well, but also to take them food to feed his brothers. He is the one taking bread, taking the cheese, taking the food to, to feed his brothers as Christ will also be the one who feeds his brothers. We think, of course, of the, of the two feedings, the 5,000 and the 4,000. Or more importantly, we think of the words of Jesus when he says words like this, I am the bread of life. As the manna came down in the wilderness, that was pointing to me, for I am the manna that came down from heaven. He'll say those words in John 6. And a little bit later in John 6, he'll say, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of the blood of the Son of Man, you do not have life in me. So Jesus, as David, David is sent in servant mode as the anointed king who is in servant mode. He's sent to take food to his brothers. 
So also Jesus, the anointed king, is also the one who not only brings food to us, but he is the food. He is the bread that he brings to us. Verse 19, And now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And I want to say, what fighting was taking place? I'm not sure who was fighting here, but it's not Saul or any of the Israelites. But they were fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper keeper and took the provisions, the food, and went. And look at this, as Jesse commanded him. David is the man of obedience. He will obey his father as Christ is the man of perfect obedience who will obey his father. He will say, I can do nothing except the will of my father. Now, as David obeys his father, so Christ obeys his father. And we continue to read in verse 20. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to battle. Host is another word for army. As the host was going out to the battle, to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, only this time David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled. So we were just told that they were gathering for battle. So here the the line of of the Israelite soldiers are gathering. They've got their weapons. They've got their shields. They're ready to go to battle until they see Goliath. And then we don't want any more of this. And they flee because they were, we're told, much afraid. That's strong in the original Hebrew. They were terrified. They were shaking in their sandals, so to speak. So we get this picture here of this heavy, oppressive, pervasive fear. Verse 25, And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him and with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So here's this list of promises. Whoever kills this man, Goliath, well, he will be free. He will be given the king's daughter and he will be enriched. He will uh, be given great riches. So some commentators take that to mean that the free, that he'll be free. Some, some take that to mean that he'll be, his family will be freed from having to pay taxes from that point on. That might be the case. But in, in whatever case, we see this threefold promise for the one who will, who will be the representative, who will be the champion and will defeat this man. He will be enriched. He will be made rich. He will be made free and he will be given the daughter of the king. Those same three things are what were given to Christ by way of his victory. Christ's victory also brought him riches. It gave him the entire kingdom. Christ's victory gave him the riches, but the riches are really given to us as the co-heirs. Hebrews 1 and verse 2, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things. Heir of all things. And then Romans 8 verse 17 will tell us that we who are sons are also co-heirs with Him. The one who defeats Goliath, David, will be given great riches. Christ due to his victory, is given great riches. He's given 
all things. He's given the kingdom of all things. He's made heir of all things. And we too are made to share in His riches. Secondly, by way of His sacrifice, by way of His death, Christ will make those who are the slaves to be free. He will free those who are made slaves. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Or we think of the words of Jesus from Luke 4 as He stands up and He takes the Isaiah scroll and speaking of Himself, He says these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So Christ's victory over our enemy sets us free from the slavery that we were oppressed by to our great oppressor. His victory sets us free just as David's victory over Goliath set his house free. The house of God is set free by means of the victory of the champion, just like the house of David was set free by means of the victory of David. But also, thirdly, we see that the victor here would be given the king's daughter in marriage. And of course, that points us Right back to ourselves, as we are called repeatedly in Scripture, the bride of Christ. And there's this picture painted of the day in which the bride is given to the Son. We are called the bride that's being prepared for the Son. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, Paul says, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband, meaning Christ. I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Or we think of Ephesians 5, in which the church is compared to this bride of Christ. Or the marriage supper of the Lamb, in which we see the presenting of the bride to the bridegroom Christ. So in the same way that David, should he be victorious over Goliath, will be given the king's daughter as bride, so also Christ when he is victorious over our enemy, will be given the prize of the bride. The father will present to, to the son the prize of the bride. Now, verse 26, And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall, be done, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Now, make, make note of that right there. That there is this strong sense of a reproach that has now been heaped upon Israel. A reproach a, a bad name, a bad reputation, a reproach has been heaped upon them. And why? Because they were cowards. Because they, they were not man enough to step out and fight this man. They were not faithful enough to trust in Yahweh and step out and fight the one who defied Yahweh. And so there's this reproach that's heaped upon them. And this idea now becomes front and center, the idea that if one would go out there and not even defeat Goliath, but just go out there and fight him, that they would take away the reproach from all of Israel as they stood around fearful. And so who will take away this reproach? David says, what will be done for the one who goes and takes away the reproach of Israel? David in fighting and defeating Goliath, will remove the reproach, not just of himself, but the reproach of all of his brothers. In the same way, Christ will remove the reproach on his people, the reproach 
of sin that has been heaped upon his people. Hebrews chapter 13 says this. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Jesus will be nailed to the cross, not just as a means of death, but he will be nailed to the cross as a means of reproach, as a means of intense shame to say this person hanging on this cross deserves all of the shame that we can heap upon him. And that's why crucifixion was such not just painful, not just excruciating. It was such a a shameful thing. And so as Jesus is taken outside the city and put upon the cross, the reproach of Israel, of true Israel, is heaped upon him so that by his death, he removes that reproach from his people. Just as David in going out to be the champion of Israel also removes the reproach that's been heaped upon Israel. For who is this, David says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Verse 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, had heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. So we should now begin to see a parallel between David's elder brothers and the religious leaders and the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Just as Eliab and the three eldest brothers there, just as they seemed to despise David, so also the religious leaders of Jesus' day also despise him. And so this this strong sense now becomes evident of the, the hatred, the animosity that David now has from his elder brothers. Reminds us of Joseph, doesn't it? As the one who also was the object of animosity from his elder brothers. And he said, why have you come down? There it is again. Why have you come down? So we remember, Jesus is the one who came down. And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have not, or I'm sorry, for you have come down to see the battle. Verse 29, and David said, what have I done now? Was it not but just a word? What did I say? What? I didn't say anything. And he turned away from him toward another. And so he turns, his brother is just heaping this scorn upon him. And he says, what did I say? What did I do? And he turns to somebody else. What, what, what did you hear me say that was so bad? And he turned away from his brother toward another and spoke in the very same way. Jesus also, in like manner, turns from those who won't receive him. And the people answered him, Again, just as before. So you hear the the sense in which David is just despised by his brothers. Isaiah 53. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Or John 1 and verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. There's this strong sense that his brothers are not for him. They are against him. But then there also, if we were to follow the story, there also will come a point 
at which David's brothers change sides. And they actually come over to David's side and become one of his supporters. If we were to look ahead to chapter 22, we read in 1 Samuel 22, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So David in his wilderness wandering days will have this group of 400 following him. And among those 400 will be the same brothers who rejected him back in chapter 17. In a similar fashion, we are told that Jesus's own brothers did not believe in him. John chapter 7 and verse 5, for even his own brothers didn't believe him. Or Mark chapter 3, when Jesus's brothers, along with Mary, come, they're so embarrassed by Jesus that they come to literally, Mark says, take Jesus by force and bring him home against his will because they think he's crazy. But in similar fashion, Jesus's brothers who did not believe in him also will reach a point in which they do believe in him. Acts chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. This is in the upper room awaiting the giving of the Spirit. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were in, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So did you have that picture in your mind of those who were waiting for the coming of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2? Did you know that among that group were Jesus's earthly brothers? Or we think of James and Jude, who were both Jesus's earthly half-brothers. Both of them went on to write an epistle. So Jesus was despised and hated by his brothers who later came to believe in him. David also was despised and hated by his brothers who later came to believe in him as well. Now, verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Again, the people did not choose David. God chose David. And here we see how David volunteers. David says, I'll go. In the same way, Jesus also was the one who was likewise chosen, not by people, but chosen by the Father. And Jesus also was the one who says, nobody takes my life. I lay it down. Nobody takes it from me. But here we see just an, another strong picture of the people's choice. The people's choice was Goliath. In another way, the people's choice was also Saul, too. Remember how Saul was the people's choice? But we see the people's choice is Goliath here facing God's choice, who is David. Matthew 17 and verse 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. And the voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Or 1 Peter 2. And you come to him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So we see God's choosing again and again, and we see Jesus's volunteering and his choice by God. Now, verse 33, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. 
In other words, he's been killing people for as long as you've been alive, David. He's, he's got socks that have been going to battle longer than you have been alive. But verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there was a lion or a bear and he took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. David was a man's man, wasn't he? Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. So Saul says to David, there's no way you can do this. You're the, you're the little runt. You're the smallest. You're the little ruddy one. There's no way you can fight this giant. And David's answer is, I've had past victories. I've had past deliverances. In a similar way, when Christ goes up against our ultimate enemy in the ultimate conflict of good and evil, or at least the ultimate conflict until that point when Christ returns, when he goes up into that conflict, that also was not his first victory. Listen to the words of Jude in Jude verse 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Did you hear what Jude said? Jesus saved the people out of Egypt. Or listen to, uh, well, not listen to, but just remind yourself of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when Paul clearly describes Jesus as the, the, the cloud in the desert leading the people, as the rock that spewed forth the water. So in this way, we are reminded that there have been many past victories over the kingdom of evil that Jesus has won before he won the battle on the cross. In the same manner, David says, I've had past victories as well. 